good morning, Faith Promise. Man, it's hard to follow that, right? But, uh, but nonetheless, you know, that song is an incredible kickoff to what we're trying to accomplish in this series because our culture looks at sin and temptation very different than Scripture does, right? That song has a perspective that talks about drugs and how that temptation of drug use just continues to draw the person in and the person in, and they never recognize what it's doing to their life or the lives of the people around them. And that's what our sin does, right? That's what temptation does when we give into it. It impacts us and it impacts the people around us. And that's what we're going to talk about as we kick off this series this weekend. And so we're glad that you're here. I always want to take uh, just a minute to welcome our other campuses uh, at Blunt and North. We're so excited that they're worshiping with us. And always, uh, I hope you guys uh, pray regularly and we want to welcome our God Behind Bars campus. Aren't, aren't you glad we minister there? Man, I had the chance to worship, and the guys at Bledsoe are just incredibly passionate about growing in their relationship with Christ. I hope that you lift up our volunteers and you pray for the men there who regularly engage in our church campus there. We're so excited for the partnership that we have there. Hey, I also want to remind you as well that in the uh, seats around you, there's a card for the Global Leadership Summit. And I know it was mentioned earlier by Pastor Jeff, but today is the last day to register at $69. You can still register tomorrow. It just goes up by 20 bucks. And so if you're planning to be there, you want to do that today. And I gave you guys a hard time uh, a few weeks ago about it, but you have until 11.59 tonight. So those of you who like to take it to the edge, you know what I'm saying? Like you are going to be, you're going to be okay up until 11.59 and then uh, it drops over to uh, $89 after today. And so man, register and be a part of that. We want you guys to grow in your relationship with Christ, but we want you to grow as a leader and accomplish great things in your life as well, in your job, and that, uh, all that God has blessed you with. And so be a part of that. Uh, it really will be an incredible opportunity to grow together at all of our campuses. So we're talking about the goods, and I want to tell you a story. You know, have any of you guys ever been sold the goods? Anybody at our campuses, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Well, 11 years ago, uh, we were expecting the arrival of our firstborn child. And uh, some of you guys know our story. We had uh, been through a season of infertility issues. And so we were working through that. And, and uh, it was really uh, a funny time. You know, you prepare everything. So we're preparing the baby room. You know, you got to put the bed together. You got to paint the walls and do all these silly things for a baby that doesn't even recognize any of that. But anyway, that's a whole other thing, ladies. That's a part of the marriage series. I'm sorry I got off track for just a minute. Um, but nonetheless, so we decided, you know, we have this great room. We've got a great house. But we started looking at our cars and, you know, your new parents and you think, man, I'm not sure that our cars are adequate to bring this baby home in. We had old cars, you know, and, and it was honestly a chance for me to create a huge win for myself because we were going to buy a new car and Kim had never owned a new car in her life. So like, guys, this is ultimate brownie points right here. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm going to buy my wife a new car. And so we started looking about we, I mean, she, and she went out and we found the right car and got to the very end of negotiations. I love to negotiate for a car, you know, or anything like that. I just love that process. And so we get to the end of it. We're both looking at each other and this car has everything we want, but one thing. And it wasn't uh, hyped up or anything. It was, it was just a, a safe car kind of deal. It truly was, but we decided, you know what, we want this vehicle to have leather interior. Now, if you have children, you understand the value of leather interior because kids can destroy a car. You know, if you, man, it's, anyway, good grief. 
Oh, gosh. Anyway, so we decide we want leather interior. So we go back to the salesman and said, hey, we'd like to get this car with leather interior. Can you get another car like this one, have it here, uh, you know, so that we can buy that one? He says, yeah, definitely. We can have it here tomorrow. So we're fired up, right? We're going to have the new car. It's going to have leather. We're so excited. We go back the next day. Lo and behold, the car is there. It has leather. We're excited. We drive it off. And over the next couple of months, we recognized that this car had some issues, like serious. There were some weird things about the alarm system. Like you couldn't lock the car if you were sitting on the inside. You had to start it first. And we're like, this is so weird. You know, if somebody's chasing you, I mean, you got to wait. Hang on. Can I start my car first? You know, we're like, what? And so one day Kim's digging through the glove box and uh, she starts reading the paperwork and she realizes with the paperwork, we said, hey, can you get another car like this one? And they said, sure. And what they had done is they had actually pulled that car to another location. They had gotten aftermarket uh, leather seats put inside, sold it as if they got us a new car. And we always wondered why things didn't add up with this vehicle because everything we asked for was aftermarket, you know? And we were so frustrated. You know the moment, what I'm talking about, when you know we've been sold the goods. We were told we were getting one thing, and then we realized that we got something else. And that's how Satan works. Satan is a sleazy salesman. I didn't say anything about the person who sold us the car. You guys were thinking that. But Satan is a sleazy salesman who is working through our flesh and the world around us to get us to do things and to be a part of things that God doesn't have for our life. And so I want to give you a framework for what we're going to be talking about in this series called The Goods and talk to you and let you see what are the goods. How are we going to define that? Look at this with me. The goods are overpriced items of poor quality that make us feel good in a moment but leave us unfulfilled over time. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you think, oh, I'm going to grab this and it'll be okay. Everything will be good. And then all of the sudden, you recognize down the road, man, that wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. And all of us have bought the goods, right? Every one of us. We've been tempted and we've succumbed to that temptation. We've been deceived. Because Satan actually leads us to believe that when we give in to temptation, that we'll actually have some sort of temporary gain. But what we don't realize in that moment is that oftentimes it also leads to a life or a season of incredible pain. All of us as well at all of our campuses have experienced that incredible pain that happens in moments where we give in to temptation and where we don't honor God in, in a situation or a choice that's placed within our life. And so I want to talk about two different things this weekend, and I want to make application, give you an example. I want you guys to be involved. Everybody's awake this weekend at our locations, right? You're ready to engage. You're ready to study the Word together. That's right. But I want to talk to you a little bit about temptations and tests. You see, Satan tempts us. Look at this. Let's throw it up here. Satan tempts us to destroy us, but God tests us to develop us. Satan's goal for your life is to destroy you and to keep you separated from God and never accomplishing God's purpose and plan for your life. Never doubt it ever. Satan doesn't want anything good for you. 
The writer in John says that Satan came to steal, to kill, and destroy. There's nothing about that that anyone wants as a part of their life, but all of us at times submit to and give into what Satan is doing in our life. Satan tempts everyone to destroy them. And it also, I want you to see this, that Satan also only reveals the potential, the future potential, not the future pain of temptation. Have you guys noticed that? Satan never really shows you exactly what's going to happen. He only leads you to believe that it all will work out in the end. And most of us know it doesn't work out a lot of times in the end. That it leaves us with shame. It leaves us with greater doubts. It leaves us with frustration. It hurts the people who are around us. And there was a guy in the New Testament whose name was James. And uh, the Bible, in the Bible, he wrote the letter that we call James or the book of James if you grew up in church. But those of you who didn't, he may be a lot like you because James, even though he was Jesus' half-brother early on, he didn't believe in who Jesus was. Actually, if you can only imagine how difficult it would be if you're a Christ follower and your brother says, hey, I'm the Messiah sent from God. I mean, how does that work out? You know, I mean... And James didn't buy in. He was like, I don't think so. But later in his life, he came to the realization after Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, hey, truly, this guy was God's son sent from heaven, the Messiah. And now later in his life, he writes one of the uh, books of our New Testament in the book of James. And in James chapter 1, if you have your Bible and you want to flip there, I want to show you a little bit about what Scripture tells us about first temptation. And I want to remind you that Satan tempts everyone to destroy them. Now look at this. When tempted, this is James chapter 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, right? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, here's the deal. If you're thinking about doing something wrong, that's not God, okay? God doesn't tempt anyone, and he can't be tempted by evil. So it's really clear, right, that where does temptation come from then? Well, that, that's obviously the opposite. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their evil desire and enticed. And then look at this. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, let me tell you what's happening in this passage of Scripture and what James is helping us to understand and what he, what he wants you to understand is this, that Satan knows that you have a lure. Now, Satan isn't a Christ follower, and he doesn't know everything, but what he does know is that every person, including me, at all of our campuses has a lure. There's something in your life that whenever it comes your way, you think, I may want to take hold of that. And even though it's not what God has for your life and it's not what's best for your life, you still think about, hey, I may, t I may grab hold of this. And he knows that there's a bait that you'll go for. It's the same thought of fishing, right? Now, some of you like to fish, some of you don't. But at the end of the day, we all know that fish eat things that swim around in the water, right? And so we go and we grab a fishing line and we put a hook on the end of it, don't we? And then what do we put on it? We put a lure whether it be, a, 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 well, Pastor Chris last week said, I'm afraid of worms, right? Which isn't true. How horrible. If it, we all know how terrible he is. But nonetheless, so you, you put it on there. You throw it on there. And what does the fish think? The fish thinks, look, there's another worm. There's something to eat. And when they grab hold of it, what happens? There's a hook inside. You see, it's not really what it will look like it was going to be. It's something different. And that, that hook grabs hold of that fish, and we reel them in. 
And that's what Satan does. That's his formula. Look at this. It's real simple. There's a desire. There's a lure. And then there's the deception. And here, here's what happens. Who's deceived? We are. Satan's not deceived. He knows that he's drawing us away from God. So there's this desire. Then there's this deception. Oh, I bet this really will be good for me. And then we're detained, right? We're detained. And I want to show you this really quickly and and what it looks like in this passage of Scripture because I don't want you to be deceived. Satan knows your lures. You say, well, I didn't tell him. He knows. He's tempted you enough that he knows what you go for. And for some of you, it's money, right? He knows if he can get you, get your pocketbook, he can get you. For some people, it's fame. Man, you'll do anything for everyone to know you. For some people, it's beauty. You know, you want people to recognize you, and you'll do anything for that. Or for some people, it's sex. For, for other people, it's porn. There are these lures that Satan throws out there. And we grab hold of it, and I want you to get this. Here's the reason why we grab hold of it. Because we believe that we know what is best for our life over what God says is best for our life. You know, don't deceive yourself. When you give in to temptation, you're saying, hey, God, I know what's best for my life. Even though it goes against what you said, I know what's best for my life. And and he says in that passage that you literally become detained The word that he uses in the New Testament is this. It means to be held as a prisoner to your sin. Have any of you guys ever felt like you were held as a prisoner to your sin? Right? Have you ever been a part of something you thought, man, if I could just get out of this, if I could just overcome this, and that's exactly what happens. It's the hook that gets set from our sin that keeps dragging us away and dragging us away because Satan knows what your lures are and he is tempting you to destroy you. But God tests you to develop you. God wants you to grow in your relationship with him. And look at what he says in James chapter 1 uh, just early on in verses 2 through 4. It's really amazing. Look, he says, consider it joy. Process that for a little while. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many, many kinds, these tests, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, let me help you really quickly in this, and, and you, you could write this in your Bible or make a note. But here's what's interesting. Uh, that when, you're, when you're tempted and you give in, it leads to death. It's separation from God, right? So you know when you're tempted because if you don't get closer to God from what you do, then it wasn't from God. But when you're tested, it says the testing of your faith, what? Produces perseverance. When you're tested, it always grows you closer to God. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look at the next verse. Let perseverance finish finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, when temptations, think about this, with temptations, they lead you away from God. Look at it. But tests ultimately lead you to him. Now, the word test means to be proved by trial. And so one of the things you have to understand, particularly if you're new in your faith or if you're a new Christ follower, is that God literally wants one thing for your life. He wants you to grow in your relationship with him. And all of us know that sometimes to grow, it requires a test. It requires something to happen in our life uh, that causes us uh, to go through a trial or a season that's difficult. 
And I was thinking about this and thinking about the test or the, the tests that we walk through, these trials that we go through. And I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes when you're in the season of that, you struggle with that, don't you? God, why are you letting me walk through this? Have you guys ever said that? Man, why, why am I going through this? There are people at all of our campuses this weekend. You found out you have cancer or something's happening in your marriage. You think, God, why? Why am I going through this? And I've always prayed, I mean, being around pastor, literally, I've always prayed, God, would you give me greater faith? Do you guys pray that as well? God, would you give me greater faith? And then something hit me uh, as I was studying and preparing for this weekend. I think that's so important for us. Is that so often, God is not as concerned about the quantity of your faith as he is the quality of your faith. You see, we think quantity, we think bigger is better, but sometimes God says it's about quality. Listen to this. Jesus is writing in the Gospels uh, to his followers, and he says, uh, he's talking to them about their faith and what is significant about their faith. And he says, unless your faith is like a mountain, right? No, he says, unless your faith is like a mustard seed. If your faith is like a mustard seed. Do you know what a What's significant about a mustard seed? It's one of the smallest of all seeds that are out there. What's he saying? If your faith is is not big, it's not this gargantuan thing, but if you have quality faith, you can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be done. You see, God wants you to grow in the quality of your faith. He's testing you not just so that your faith would get bigger, but so that your faith would be refined so that you trust him more. God wants you to grow. He wants you to trust him more. He wants to be a part of your life in walking with you. And so in the Bible, I want to show you just really quickly some application of this because there's one place where Scripture shows a really great picture of someone who walks through an incredible temptation and another place where Scripture shows us just a few, passage, uh, a few chapters over another person who walks through uh, just, an, an, just an incredible, uh, difficult test that God calls them to. So in the book of Genesis, if you want to turn there, in Genesis chapter 3, we see this. We see this uh, crazy thing that happens. And the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 tells us some unique things about what's going on. The Bible tells us that God has created everything over the first few chapters. And then as God has created, after God has created everything, everything was perfect. Adam named the animals. It really says that in the Bible. And then God realizes he needs someone to help him. And so um, God creates Eve. And they're there. They're living and everything is perfect. And here's something I want you to remember. Satan is always opposed to anything that's going right. Satan is always opposed to anything that's going right. And Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're living there, and things are going well. They have a great relationship with God. And, you know, overall, it was just a, it was a great time, and God had given them one rule. He said, you can eat from every tree in the garden except for this one. Now think about God's rule. Hey, if there's a 1,000 trees, you can eat from 999 of them. Just don't eat from that one. Well, Eve is there and Adam are there. And remember that Satan always deceives. Satan always sells the goods. And here's what Satan does. Satan leads you to believe that God is trying to limit your life. 
He helps you to, he wants you to believe God is trying to limit your life. And so when Satan comes on the scene, uh, he looks at Eve, and think about this. He looks at her, and listen to, listen to what he says. Satan looks to her and says, did God really say to you that you can't eat of the trees in the garden? No, that's not what God said. We just can't eat of this one, right? We can have anything we want from the other trees. We just can't eat from this one. You see, what happens is she knows the real thing. She knows what God has said. She knows that God is good and he's faithful. But the goods always look like the real thing, but they're really a knockoff version. Man, I've traveled around the world. I've been to China. It's amazing. You can buy everything in China that you can here. It's just a knockoff. You buy a size large there, it's like a small. You know what I'm saying? You bring it home, it, it doesn't fit. It looks great. It looks just like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. You see, the goods appeal to your eyes. They appeal to your touch. They appeal to your taste. And even if the goods had a, you know, we think, well, if I just knew it was temptation. No, even if they had a made in heaven or a made in hell sticker on them, right? <laughs> Imagine that if God said, hey, here's a sticker. Even if it had that. The real choice in every temptation isn't about the choice. It's about the desires within us. Because Satan knows what lures will grab hold of us and keep us from experiencing what God has for our life. Now, here's one thing I want you to see about Satan. Satan never leads with the outcome. You see, Satan never says, hey, you should go to lunch with that lady. Um, you know what? When you do that, your life is going to end up in divorce court. Your kids are going to hate you, and your life will never be the same. That's not how Satan leads, right? Satan never leads with what the outcome will be, right? Can you imagine if Eve would have stopped there and said, hang on a second there, serpent? Now, for me, I want you guys to know, if I'd have been there that day, the world would be different. Because, listen, it's the truth, because I'm so deathly afraid of snakes that if that serpent had spoken to me, I would have run away. Not because I love God, because I'm scared to death, right? But, but nonetheless, right, I, I, I'm serious. I would have run away, but Eve's like, no, she doesn't even think. Hang on, a serpent's talking to me. And can you imagine if she had said, hey, time out, serpent. I know the real thing. I know, I know the Father. I've walked with him. Hang on, let me ask him. And she had walked over to God and said, hey, there's a serpent over there. He's telling me that you don't want me to eat from this tree because if I do, then I'll be like you. See, he was convincing her, God's trying to limit you, Eve. He's trying to keep you from accomplishing what God has for your life. And imagine if God had looked at her Imagine if God was able to look at you, if you were to stop and say, God, what's going to happen in this situation? What if he had looked at her and said, you know, Eve, you can eat of the tree, but here's what's going to happen. It's going to hurt like heck to have kids. Amen, women? Oh, my goodness. Ah, the ladies are like, yes. But you know what's worse than that, Eve? You're going to question the motives of Adam forever. And then he would say, go on to say, and this great place that you live, this garden that's so perfect, you can't live here anymore. And not only can you not live here, but there's going to be thorns and uh, life is going to be full of weeds and literally things are going to get messy and you're going to have to work really hard. 
But then I believe that, that God would have stopped and said, but Eve, that's not the worst part. The worst part of the whole thing is that if you do that, it's going to limit what you believe is the potential of my relationship with you. You see, when we all give in to temptation, we believe that God loves us less. Is that right? That's right. And God would have said to her, hey, I'll never love you less. But she would never be able to understand that. What would happen in your life if you started asking God, what's going to happen if I give in to this? You know, what would happen in your family if you started saying, hey, it looks like I'm being tempted here. What's going to happen, God, if I give in to this? It's amazing because Scripture tells us things about God. And if you haven't read the Bible through, you really should. Uh, not because you go to church or you're a Christ follower, uh, even more so because it just says some really amazing things about God. You see, God doesn't want you to be tempted, uh, to give in to temptation. He can't keep you from being tempted. He doesn't want you to give in. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it, even, it says it this way. Look at this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So here we go, Christ followers. Listen to what he's saying here. You ever talk to someone who said, well, you just don't understand what I'm walking through? Yeah. You know what? No, there's no temptation that's not common to all of us. But God is faithful, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But look at what it says. But when you are tempted, it's going to happen. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, God is a God of the way out. Satan is trying to limit the potential of your life, but God is saying, hey, I always provide a way out of temptation. What would happen in our church, in our community, in the world if we all started saying, God, provide a way out. Give me the eyes to see it. Give me the ears. You know, I hate cell phones sometimes, but sometimes my cell phone rings right before I'm about to do something stupid. And I'm in my 40s now, so I can't remember what I was going to do. But, you know, after that, it's just like, you know, squirrel, like, okay, I don't know what was going to happen. Um, God, I think I was going to do something dumb. Would you help me? There was another guy in the New Testament uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, God had made this crazy promise to him. He said, hey, leave everything, and I'm going to show you the land that you should go to. God uh, was so committed to this guy that his name was Abram, which means exalted father. Now, you know what's amazing about that name is he had no children. It's the first picture probably that we see in the Bible of infertility because Abram and his wife Sarah were unable to have kids. It's an amazing story, and at some point in his relationship with God, God steps in and says, hey, you're no longer going to be called exalted father. I'm going to call you father of multitudes, Abraham. You've probably heard his name. And Abraham, father of multitudes, had no children, so one day his wife comes in and says, hey, you should have a son. You, God's called you father of multitudes. Here's one of my maids. You can have a relationship with her. She'll get pregnant. She'll give you that multitude. And they really tried to wreck the plan that God had. But God sees through that, and he sees them through that, and he begins to give them another plan, and he tells Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, hey, you're going to have a son. And even though they had messed up, and even though you've messed up, God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. 
And so Abraham comes in and he, he give, his wife Sarah gives birth to a son when he is 100 years old. And I got to tell you guys, I've thought about that. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the sleepless nights of a baby at 100? Anyway, that's a whole other message again. But God comes on the scene, and, and he tells them this, and, and he says, you're going to be the father of multitudes, and they have this son, Isaac. Now, here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy about God. Because God tells Abraham something that you would never believe that he would tell anyone. Look at this in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's a test. Now, I don't know if it's as big a test as we think it was. Most scholars believe that Isaac's about 13 years old. So he's starting teenage years. Sacrificing him may have been a blessing. You know what I'm talking about? Today, we'd be like, you want me to sacrifice him? Okay, God, let's go to the mountain. You know, I'm, I'm ready. But that wasn't the situation. He waited 100 years for his son. He was called the father of multitudes. And he had to be thinking, God, how can you raise up through me a multitude when you've asked me to destroy the future? God, what are you thinking? I mean, have you ever been in that place where you say, God, what are you thinking? But Abraham realizes this is the test of obedience, so he chooses to trust God. He says, God, I'm going to trust you. And so he sets out, and he goes towards the place that God was going to show to him and when he gets a little ways out, he looks ahead and tells the servants to stay behind. But look at what he says, because I don't believe that all tests are just a test of obedience. Some are about a test of perspective. Look at this. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, just a couple verses later, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, let me tell you what's happening here, because later, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us something about this situation that's absolutely mind-blowing. Because all of us have been in this situation where God has called us to do something. He's testing us, and then we say, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't see how I can make it through this. But here's what's amazing about Abraham first is that Abraham had a different perspective. He said, hey, I'm not going to sacrifice my son. That's not what he told the servants. He said, we're going to worship. You see, you have a different heart when you're working, walking through a test and you say, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what. But here's what the writer of Hebrew tells, Hebrews tells us about Abraham. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed his son, but it wasn't just that God said, sacrifice your son. Then God said, burn him as a burnt offering. That literally all that Abraham would have left as the father of multitude was a pile of ashes. And he has to be thinking, God, there's no way. You didn't call me to be the father of ashes. And then it hits him because of his perspective. He believes, the writer of Hebrews says, he has so, such a quality of faith that he believes that God will put every one of those ashes back together and he will walk down from that mountain with his son. You see, you may think that your life is a pile of ashes, 
but God can rebuild it into whatever you will trust him to build it into, right? Yes. So don't be deceived. Man, tests are not so much about what's going on as they are about you, about your obedience, about your perspective. God is trying to do a work in your life. Now, where do we go from here? In this series, we're going to work to help you guys understand more about temptation and how you can overcome it. But before you do that, I want to leave you just with two last thoughts about test and about temptation, about the goods. The first one is God's model, and here it is. God's model is this. Testing produces faith that leads to greater trust in the future. If you find a person who's being, being tested or been tested, they'll always be able to look at you and say, I know God in a different way. It's amazing to see how God works in people's lives. But look at the second thing with temptation, the goods, right? What are the goods? The goods are temptations that focus on an object that leads to temporary fulfillment today, but what? But produces greater regret tomorrow. You know, what would happen if as a congregation we said, you know what, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to ask you for a way out. I'm going to look at a situation and say, that looks like the goods. I'm not going to give in to that. God, show me if this is what you're calling me to do or show me if this is what Satan is using to lure me off track in my relationship with you. If you bow your heads, close your eyes across all of our campuses, I, I just want to be sensitive that this weekend, I really believe that there are people at every campus who are in the middle of a test. That you would say you find yourself in a situation, it's not a sin issue, there's nothing going on. You would just find yourself in a situation where you're saying, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I need your help to be obedient, but to have a different perspective. If that's where you are this weekend in our location, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? God, there are people all across our campuses who are raising their hands. And Father, first we want to say this is an act of obedience, of surrender to you to say that we trust you, that we recognize that you're in control of our life, and that, God, we need you to lead us to a place to where we can have the faith to understand and, God, the perspective to worship you and know that you will come through. And so, Father, I just pray right now for each person who has a hand raised. Would you move in their life and change them, change their perspective, give them a greater quality of faith in Christ's name. Now, for other people, you would say, man, I, I'm about to wreck my life. You can just keep your head bowed because this is going to be the hardest one. You say, I'm about to wreck my life because I'm being tempted at work. I'm being tempted at school. I'm being tempted in the relationship I have with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And I'm going to wreck my life. And you know what? This one takes a greater measure of faith to say, hey, I'm in a great level of temptation. You know what? It doesn't have to be that terrible. You could just say, man, I'm being tempted to, to not do something that I know God's telling me to do. But if you find yourself in a place where you're just being tempted beyond what you feel like you can bear, would you just raise your hand across our campuses? Father, there are people who are raising their hands at every location because, Father, we want to tell you that we don't trust you sometimes. And all of us have been there. God, you know it from day one but we want to trust you.
we call out that Satan is a sleazy salesman who's trying to sell us the goods, to believe that what he has is better than what you have. God, you're not limiting. You said that you came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. So I pray that every person who has hand raised would recognize and know that you are the God supreme and worthy of bowing our life to. God, move in our lives, move in our hearts. In this series, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to discern the places where you're tempting us, where Satan is tempting us. And I just pray more than anything that we would look for the way out and become a church that finds the way out. We love you, Father. Thanks for all you do for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Man, we are so glad you are here. Yeah, give God praise. This series... This series is going to be so practical. Hey, let me mention one thing. We'll have some people down front to pray. Man, don't leave. If there's something going on in your life, you need someone to pray for you, we would love to do that. Hey, in the seats around you, there's a card that talks about Pastor Chris's 20th anniversary. Would you take that in August, the first weekend? We're going to celebrate that weekend, uh, Pastor Chris and Michelle's 20 years at Faith Promise, and we want you guys to be a part of that. Uh, get the word out so that we can celebrate that. We want you to be a part of writing letters of encouragement to him. We love you. Pastors here next week, and be blessed. We'll see you next week.